Hello, investors, sustainability experts, and everyone in the ESG community. Welcome to the podcast. This is Kisa Shreen. The economic downturn and growing business and market volatility resulting from the coronavirus pandemic should remind us about the importance of taking measures around another major global crisis, the climate emergency. And as much as we try, we cannot overcome the climate crisis without paying attention to one area, emerging markets, which collectively account for about half of the global greenhouse gas emissions. So today we're going to discuss the opportunities and challenges that climate and ESG-focused investors should consider while investing in emerging markets. To help us explore this is our guest, Dazzle Bijawala, Director of Investor Network at Ceres, a sustainability nonprofit organization working with investors and companies on sustainability challenges of our time, like the climate crisis, deforestation, water pollution, scarcity, and just and inclusive economies. Dazzle, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. So what's the connection between decarbonization and emerging markets? That's a great question to begin with. It's all about risk and return. But before I elaborate more on this, let's understand that the interconnected world we are living in today, global challenges such as the ongoing pandemic or climate change have no national borders. No country has been immune from the spread of the virus. And similarly, no investor will be immune from the systemic financial risk posed by climate change. In fact, one thing that we have learned from the pandemic is that prevention is better than cure. It is cheaper and safer to prevent people from catching and spreading the virus than to treat a large number of cases at the same time. So you see, similarly, in case of climate change, it is better to prevent global temperatures from rising than to figure out how to deal with the impact of a warming planet. And Kisa, as you said in your introductory remarks, today emerging markets account for about half of global emissions. And hence, investors cannot avoid thinking about these markets from a climate risk perspective. At the same time, today, developing and emerging markets contribute over 60% of global GDP. They are the world's primary drivers of global growth and wealth accumulation. So for institutional investors who are seeking growth opportunities or for pension funds who have to meet their unfunded liabilities, they cannot ignore such high potential growth markets. As investors, if you are going to invest in emerging markets, I would say might as well invest in sectors and companies that are less carbon intensive and are contributing towards net zero ambition by 2050. And that way, you see, it's a win-win for everyone. And maybe, you know, if you have a minute or more, I can add one more point here that today investors have started looking beyond risk and return. And they want to know the impact their investments are having, not only on the environment, but also on the society. And as we know, it has gained, this has gained even more importance with health and unemployment crisis that we are facing because of the ongoing pandemic. We all should know that 90% of urban future population growth through 2050 will occur in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And these are pre precisely the areas where close to a billion people, even today, lack access to electricity, depriving them of economic and social security. 
So for impact-oriented investors, it is important how energy as well as infrastructure, food, and water needs in these regions will be addressed during the next decade. And that will determine the transition towards a global sustainable economy that is just and equitable. No, it's really interesting that you that you bring that up because one of the things that um, that we know about the U.S. specifically, um, and taking just a tangent from the emerging markets, the U.S. has now begun the process of pulling out of the Paris Agreement. So, in terms of other countries taking the lead on climate change, did China and India have the potential to lead on climate change, despite? them being the world's largest emitters, or would you say that some of the other markets that you just mentioned, would they have a better shot at really taking a lead here? My answer to this question six months back could have been different when coronavirus had not hit our world. Then China was in a strong position with its environmental policies and climate investments. But the world has completely changed in the last six months. And the way the political environment is evolving in the U.S. currently, six months from now, U.S. can either lead on climate policies or further lag behind its climate actions, depending on which way the elections go this November. But as of today, it is still too early to ascertain the real social and economic impacts of ongoing pandemic and what policies governments will adopt as they set on the path of economic recovery. Now, having said this, let's understand that over the past several years, both India and China have been pursuing policies that drive innovation and investments in clean solutions. However, we really don't know if China and India will continue to implement such policies as they recover from this health crisis. But investors should not forget that China is already by far the top global destination for clean energy investments. In fact, one in every three dollars invested in renewable energy since 2013 has been invested in China. And on the other hand, currently India's total electricity build capacity is just one fourth of its projected energy demand by 2050. You see, India's increasing population, growing urbanization, and rising income levels are already spurring consumer demand for electricity And such a rise in demand means that India will have to double its electricity output by 2030. And that has the capacity to attract $30 billion of investments every year for the next 10 years. And that's quite a sizable uh, investment we are talking about. And considering India produces the world's cheapest solar power, the cost of electricity in India is today much cheaper if it is from solar than if it is from coal. So from my perspective, I would find it difficult to believe if India will divert its attention away from renewables. In fact, efforts from China and India to contain carbon emissions by consistently tightening their environmental policies go far beyond fighting climate change. It's all about attaining energy independence, curtailing pollution, improving health and infrastructure, and thereby increasing per capita productivity. It's all about being self-resilient. So, you see, from your point of Trump administration pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Agreement, uh, yes, it has left the door open for countries like China and India to step in as potential leaders. But having said that, I would say both these countries could face some headwinds in the near term 
as they steer their economy through this pandemic. So, Dazzle, let's talk about the challenges involved while investing in emerging markets. So speaking about challenges involved while investing in emerging markets, the most common risks that are cited by investors are company-level policies and regulatory framework. When it comes to making direct investments, say as in renewable energy infrastructure projects in emerging markets, there is always a risk of transparency and project execution. And at times, institutional investors may find the litigation process in such markets quite cumbersome and inefficient. Having said this, Lately, we have seen that country-level reforms are moving in the right direction. Challenges of urbanization, pollution, water stress, and climate change are just some of the factors that are increasingly putting pressure on policymakers in these markets to address environmental concerns, and their action in these areas are now reflecting in the way their stock exchanges are functioning. Stock exchanges in countries such as South Africa, Malaysia, Thailand, and many more have introduced ESG reporting standards. And at the same time, the thirst for clean energy goes beyond India and China. Brazil, Chile, and Kenya are among the top five emerging markets for clean energy investments as per the latest Bloomberg New Energy Finance report. So you see, in spite of these improving regulatory frameworks and investment opportunities these countries have to offer, the perception of these markets has not changed much over the years. And as they say, many investors miss the forest of opportunity for the tree of perceived risk. Now, all this can be classified as external risk, the risk that investors can't control, but yes, they have the tools to manage them. But investors often fail to realize that there can be internal challenges within their investment teams and the way they analyze and invest in emerging markets. It is a common fact that investors often suffer from home bias they end up having their higher location in country they reside in. We have seen this with even sophisticated investors who often lose sight of emerging markets as they may not have the right investment staff who has the local knowledge of a particular market or their staff is unable to see through evolving macro trends in such markets. In fact, you'll be surprised. Even today, many investors classify all emerging markets under one risk pool. But in reality, Investing in India can be very different than investing in Argentina. Or even investing in Rwanda, uh, East, Eastern Africa, uh, will have very different risks than what you see in South Africa. So if you are a pension fund who is investing for generations, you need to challenge your own investment thesis and ask difficult questions. You need to study which markets will play a dominant role in the next 10, 15, or 20 years and how you are going to position your investments in these markets in the coming years. And on this point, let me mention an interesting example of a forward-thinking approach adopted by Canada's largest pension fund, Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, which is often referred as CPPIB. They announced last year that they will invest a third of their total portfolio in markets such as India, China, and Latin America by 2025. They clearly see that these are the markets of the future and they cannot generate the desired financial returns if they are not well positioned in the markets. So yes, there are challenges, both external and internal, while investing in emerging markets and investors should address those appropriately as they review their asset allocation and position their portfolio towards net zero ambition by 2050. And at the same time, I would say 
countries must have the right policies and governance in, in place if they aspire to attract billions in clean investments. So what are the key sectors and areas of focus for climate investing in the emerging markets, Dazzle? Yeah. One of the sectors that is growing or rather growing very fast is renewable energy. And the reason it is growing so fast is because we have reached a price point where round-the-clock electricity from renewables is costing less than coal electricity. Since the growth in renewables will continue, there also will be demand for storage and batteries. As we know, emerging markets are experiencing an unprecedented growth in population and urbanization, which is not only leading to a rise in energy demand, but it is also putting a lot of pressure on their existing building stocks and also on their frail and congested transport infrastructure. So we will also see a growing demand for green buildings and clean transportation. And even within clean transportation, the demand will be for both electric passenger vehicles and efficient mass public transit system. Another sector worth a mention uh, is agriculture as we experience a rise in extreme weather patterns. And when we combine this with the need to feed a growing population, there will be a rise in demand for climate smart agriculture. But the important point here is how we can unlock the full potential of each of these sectors. And for that, there needs to be a focus on three key areas, namely policy, investments, and public-private partnerships. And maybe I can you know, give some more details on each of these. Talking about policy, governments should create nonpartisan policies that are consistent with the nationally determined commitments or contributions, NDCs, and that builds market and investor confidence in climate investments. Governments should be willing to share investment risk. They should provide necessary project execution support and should also ease the process of seeking environmental clearances. So when it comes governments to should work together with corporates then is that what you're is that what we're advocating for? Yes, uh, so with corporates and with investors both. And their policies hmm. have to be in a way that builds the market confidence and these are long-term policies, you know, even with the change in the political system, the investors and the corporates should have the confidence if they are investing um, huge amounts of capital for a longer term. And so, so to, to that point partnerships are really needed there. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So, and even for investments, uh, it is no longer, uh, or for investors rather, it is no longer enough to buy an asset and wait until it becomes valuable. Investors have to get on the ground. They have to study the fundamentals and characteristics of certain key markets and work with local investment managers and partner with local entrepreneurs or companies, as you said, to improve the quality of assets they invest in and create value for all stakeholders. And finally, so, uh, yes, when it comes oh. mm-hmm. sorry, let, let me just, you know, uh, compete on the sure. partnership yes. concept, which is important as well. And so the point I was making is that when it comes to addressing risk and catalyzing institutional capital towards climate investments, public-private partnership will play a key role. Investors will have to partner with multilateral development banks who have deep exposure and experience in emerging markets and who can provide risk-mitigating uh, tools. And if you have a minute, I can, uh, uh, you know, mention a little bit about an uh, example which is important for emerging markets and developing markets today, 
uh, and that is Green Climate Fund that supports developing countries to transition to low emissions and climate resilient uh, pathways. It plays an instrumental role in de-risking climate investments in developing economies and offers both technical and policy development support, making it more convenient for governments and investors to work together. And especially in today's time, uh, when markets uh, and countries are going through a lot of stress, many developing countries, particularly the ones who are highly dependent on commodity ex uh, exports, uh, tourism and remittances, you know, have limited fiscal and monetary capacity to fund their green re recovery priorities. This is where Green Climate Fund can play a critical role in supporting these countries by catalyzing and aligning domestic and international climate finance flows to revive these economies and foster green and resilient uh, development. So, you know, uh, a long story short, but, you know, to conclude, there is a huge scope for climate investments in emerging markets, but governments will have to, you know, they have to meet their NDCs and investors to meet their net zero ambitions. We will need a good mix of policy investments and partnerships. Great. So, Dazzle, just in the last 60 seconds, would love to hear what are the top considerations for investors buying stocks and bonds in emerging markets? If you had to give the top three considerations, what would those be? I think for investors who are buying stocks and bonds in emerging markets, the key is to do an in-depth ESG analysis and proactively engage companies they are investing in. Uh, and I think uh, ESG integration, there, there is a lot of data out there which has shown that there's a strong correlation between good ESG scores and investment returns. And it is especially true in case of emerging markets. And beyond ESG integration, the second approach should be the company engagement, as I said. Uh, and one of, one of the prime and successful examples over here, I can say, is the Climate Action 100 where over 450 investors with approximately $40 trillion in assets uh, under management are working together to move the world's largest corporate greenhouse gas emitters to reduce emissions and improve governance standards. And they are doing so with many emerging market you know, companies as well. And it is because of this collective force that lately we are seeing some of the largest corporate emitters setting net zero ambitions and aligning their business operations with a low carbon economy. Great. Well, engaging companies that you're investing in and really recognizing those correlations between the ESG scores and returns. Great advice and great insight. Dazzle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitiv Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.